We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala, and we seek blessings on the Prophet, may peace be upon him. Okay, uh, actually, uh, do you have any initial questions about anything, anything at all that we've been covering, either of you? No questions, blank. Okay, let's, uh, let's pull up the book and share the screen. All right, you all can see that, right? Nature and purpose of Islamic law. Okay, uh, let us read uh, from this previous paragraph, starting at the bottom where it says, in a similar fashion. Which one of you would like to read? Either of you, don't worry, you both will read at some point. Go ahead, it's fine. Go ahead. If you want to read. Go ahead, I'll say it. Uh, in a similar fashion, the concept of the ijma' consensus was utilized to create a more systematic and accountable legal system. The basic idea behind the doctrine of ijma' was that the agreement of jurists on a particular point of law or that well-established legal doctrine ought to be binding. Nevertheless, beyond this fundamental idea, which was often invoked in an effort to consolidate and stabilize the legal system, there were numerous juristic debates as to a range of issues, such as whose consensus consensus counts or matters, whether consensus is time-bound, for instance, by generation or another time contingency, whether the doctrine of consensus has a regional dimension, and how, and last but not least, how to go, how to go about ascertaining that a consensus exists. As readily recognized by classical jurists, however, the claim of consensus was often polemically polemically invoked by judges and jurists in the course of arguing that a particular issue was well settled in law when indeed it was not or alternatively to resist pressure in favor of legal change okay cool so so the whole paragraph is is as mentioned about about ijma about consensus and for our purposes uh, a couple of key points to think about one is that because we don't have a central authority meaning the prophet peace was no longer around then it becomes the task. The then it becomes the task of the collective to figure out answers to questions, and 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 so this process of figuring out answers to questions occasionally will be a number of people who are in a room together. Okay, now think about pre-modern communication with zero technology. It's going to be people writing letters, or it might be people at a court, or people at a school. Uh, having having these discussions, but very often it's a conversation that spans a century, and and so that which we call the tradition is essentially just a series of conversations and disagreements through time. Where in the process of these disagreements, there are some things that are sometimes explicit, some some things that are implicit that no one seems to be debating that they have no issue with. And so the schools of law all agree on the big issues, right? You know, what's the shahada? What's the basic theology? Uh, and and in more often than not, on big questions, they all have the same answers. The schools of law are formed essentially to figure out the answers for ultra particular situations and using their own methodologies, again, to derive consistency. Another big point is that in Ijma, there's often the mistaken notion that you have unanimity, 
Uh, I mean, just think about the, the human experience. The larger the population you have, the less likely you're going to have unanimity. Uh, and so very often in terms of, of when you have those books that are collecting the opinions across schools, they'll say, well, the majority believe this, but this school believes this. And uh, even within schools, so like in the Hanafi school, you will very frequently see you very frequently see Abu Hanifa's opinion is this, but of his two like primary students, uh, they depart from him. And then there's another student that might depart from the both of them. And so, so Ijmah sometimes is this point mentioned at the end of the paragraph, this polemical thing, where someone is claiming there is consensus just to shut down a debate. So, so the idea, the goal is to have consensus to minimize the exertion of power, but sometimes people will exert power by saying, yeah, there's consensus of this. There's no, there's no place of debate to shut down conversation. And, and so all of this is part of the experience of having a decentralized tradition. In Catholicism, it operates very, very differently because you have a Pope at the center but you will still have people who are who are expressing disagreement with the Pope. And so when does the Pope essentially become infallible? It's a specific type of proclamation. Okay. Uh, not all the Pope statements are, 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 are held to the standard of infallibility, but a specific type of statement where it's sort of like he's making like a major fatwa or something. Yeah. Um, and, but for us, it's literally the, the process of everyone getting into conversation with each other, including all the politics, all the biases, everything. And still somehow through that whole process, this tradition forms, which I think is really, really fascinating. It's actually very interesting that 1400 years later, you know, we all say there's disagreement, disagreement and disunity. There's a surprisingly large amount of unity um, that is still sustained. And an example of that is the fact that our prayers are almost identical every single place you go. You know, except for minor, minor differences. That I think is nothing less than a miracle. So uh, let's go to the next paragraph. Say, why don't you keep reading? There are a number of other legal instrumentalities that allowed Muslim jurists a degree of flexibility in reaching determinations consistent with equity, avoidance of hardship, or granting special relief. Among such, among such instrumentalities was the method of istislah, by which a jurist would follow a certain precedent that was not directly on point instead of another precedent that was directly on point for purposes of achieving equity. Another was istihsan, by which jurists would break with the established precedents on a legal matter in the interest of reaching a more just or fair result. But the exercise of equitable preference was not a matter of simple, was not a simple, was not a matter of a simple exercise of discretion. Rather the, rather the jurists developed a set of limiting criteria that were intended to make the process of exercising a preference more systematic and accountable. Okay. So these are good terms to know, istislah and istihsan. And, and the first, what is the principle to take from both of these terms? Uh, you have the prescribed method of coming to an answer to a question. And you may have followed all the steps properly and you might still determine, no, that does not fulfill you know, the values that we've established as Islamic values. And so some of the ones that are mentioned here are in that second line, equity, avoidance of hardship, granting special relief, so forth and so on. And so we talked about this way, way at the beginning of our discussions that on the one hand, you have what we call the usul, which is the process of interpreting the text. Yeah. And then we have the maqasid, 
and the maqasid would sort of be like the spirit of the law, but it's the collective spirit of the whole text. And then the third aspect is the orf, which is how do you do things in your particular society? And did we, have we done any examples with that? Like, you know, often to make this point, we'll go through the aya on loans. Have we done that? Or we can do it again if you want. Okay, let me pull this up. Stop share right here. Did you say loans? Like loans, yeah, like taking out a debt. And okay, so let's do that now. I think you'll find this to be really useful, inshallah. Did you all go? Okay, so let me share screen. So this is Surah 2, Surah Al-Baqarah, Ayah 282. So longest ayah in the Quran, incidentally. Yeah. And so, so let's do simple translation. Let's go with Halim. Okay. <clears throat> so we'll, for our purposes, we'll skip the Arabic. Uh, who wants to read? Honey, you want to read? And I'll just interrupt at random points. Yeah, the uh, the English, right? Yeah. You who believe. Okay. I feel like I should put my hijab on, but that's just my daisy self wanting me to do that. I'm going to do it anyway. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the, you know, if you're ever like in an event. The auntie self, yeah, I'm going to do well, it. Well, I'm also saying it's like, you know, if you're in an event and people won't be quiet, just get on the phone, the microphone and start reciting Al Fatiha. And everybody gets quiet. Suddenly, all the departments go. Eh, you know, but anyway. <laughs> okay. I wasn't right. kind of a kid, but I feel like now, whenever that that inclination comes, I should do it. So, not for society, not culturally, but because that is how I feel. Anyways, okay. um, you, you who believe when you contract a debt for a stated term, put it down in writing. Have a scribe write it down justly between you. No scribe should refuse to write. Let him write as God has taught him. Let the debtor dictate and let him fear God, his Lord, and not diminish the debt at all. If the debtor is feeble-minded, weak, or unable to dictate, then let his guardian dictate justly. Call in two men as witnesses. If two men are not there, then call one man and two women out of okay. those whom out of the, those you approve as witnesses so that if one of the two women should forget, the other can remind her. Let the witnesses... Sorry, sorry, keep going. Okay, let the witnesses not refuse when they're summoned. Do not disdain to write the debt down, be it small or large, along with the time it falls due. This way is more equitable in God's eyes, more reliable as testimony, and more likely to prevent doubts arising be between you. But if the merchandise is there and hand it over, and you hand it over, there is no blame on you if you do not write it down. Have witnesses present whenever you trade with one another, and let no harm be done to either scribe or witness. For if you did cause them harm, it would be a crime on your part. Be mindful of God, and he will teach you. He has full knowledge of everything. Excellent. Okay, so <clears throat> we have a context here, which is, all right, believers, when you're when you're writing out a debt, or when there's when you're going to be uh, giving or receiving a debt, then do the following. Number one, write it down. Okay. Uh, number two, have witnesses. Or actually number two, have the person who's taking on the debt uh, dictate the terms. 
and number three, have witnesses. Okay, so those are the, the, the general principles, but then looking specifically what it's saying, okay, have a scribe write it down just in between you and no scribe should refuse to write. Now, if you think back to Arabia at the time of the prophet, peace be upon him, you'll remember that it's uh, predominantly an oral culture, right? Writing was not the norm. There were people who could write, Almud, he could write, Abu Bakr could write. So there were a number of people who were uh, uh, of um, status or occupation where they were taught reading and writing and such. But you could easily be a very successful person in society and not be able to read or write, as was the case of the prophet, may peace be upon him. So there were people who had being a scribe as a whole career. It would have been like uh, until recently being a typist as a career. Right? That um, <clears throat> I don't know how, how often we have typists now, but until you know computers really became widespread, it was very common to be a typist. And I might have, I don't remember if I've shared it here that uh, uh, so when I was in junior high school, uh, our teacher, uh, a teacher of ours told us all to take typing when we were in high school, which I did. And when I was at my peak, I was typing upwards of 120 words a minute. And so all my friends would have me type their papers because it would take me about 10 minutes, take them about four hours. Right? And, and so, so this was a whole career. And so a scribe should not refuse, let him write as God has taught him. And then let the debtor dictate, dictate uh, but you know, let the debtor dict, uh, fear God, I meaning don't take advantage of the person and don't diminish anything of the debt, right? So be honest in terms of how much you're, you owe. So it's one thing if I'm giving you a loan of a thousand dollars, but then you, you know, you only write, okay, you, I owe him $800. And if the debtor is feeble minded, so let's say the debtor is a child. And so, uh, or we can are unable to dictate and let the guardian dictate again, justly. And then the exciting part, call in two men as witnesses, if not two men, you know, then one man and two women of those whom you approve as witnesses, so that if one of the two women should forget, the other can remind her. Okay, and so that's the part that will raise a whole bunch of exclamation points for a whole lot of people, and we'll get back to that in a second. And let not the witnesses refuse when they're summoned. That's the whole point of being a witness, right, that you're not going to refuse when you're being called upon. And then we have, do not disdain to write the debt down, be it small or large, along with the time that it's due. This is way more equitable in God's eyes and more reliable as testimony and more likely to prevent doubt. But we also have the purpose for the whole advice given in the first half of this aisle. And then it also says, if the merchandise is there and you hand it over, there's no blame on you if you do not write down. Meaning if I'm just paying you and you're giving me the merchandise like a purchase, then you know, don't feel like you have to write down, but still it's good to have witnesses present. Okay. And again, there should be no harm or to the scribe or the witness, because if you did harm, that would be a very a big crime in your part. Have taqwa of Allah. He will teach you his full knowledge of everything. So this ayah is really fascinating because it gives us the text and it also gives us the higher aims. Okay. Now, the first point to think about <clears throat> is that so this is taking place in Medina. And we're probably about two years into the prophet's life in Medina. And, and so even the fact that you're giving agency to women here, this is already something radical for their context. And now the question is, is this something that I would have to apply to my context as Muslim in 2020? 
And so, so we talked about three aspects. One is the usul, what does the text say? And then the second is maqasid, you know, what are the higher aims? And then the third is the urf. So going through each of these three processes. First, the usul here, the first question is, is the text clear? I think the text is very, very clear in terms of what it's saying, what it's prescribing. Right? Everything it's saying, it's very clear. Write it down, debtor um, dictates it, and you have witnesses. <clears throat> Second question is, is this a fard? Is Allah giving us a command? Or is Allah giving us a recommendation? So everybody would agree that this is clear. How do you figure out this is a command or a recommendation? Keeping in mind that if I say do this, you know, the fi'l amr form, the command form, you can't tell if it's a command or a recommendation. If I just say, you know, if I say sit straight, right? I mean, it could sound like a command depending upon how you receive what I'm saying. Um, or it could just be sound like a recommendation. What do you think? Looking at this text, how do we figure out if it's a command or a recommendation? Because this would be something debated. Yeah, we'll say. Um, I'm thinking recommendation just because it's um, going towards people who believe only rather than all. Okay. Maybe this is, I'm just. Sure, sure. So we might, we might look within the text. <laughs> uh, when it's you who believe, maybe, maybe not. Because uh, we might still then think that, well, for believers, it might be a command. One way that this gets interpreted as a recommendation is because Allah also gives the explanation for why he's saying to do all this. Don't disdain to write it down, be it big or small, along with the time it falls to you. This is way more equitable in God's eyes, more reliable as testimony, more likely to prevent doubts among you. Okay. And so think about how different if it would be if Allah just says, write it all down, and that line was removed. It would seem much more categorical. And so this is the type of debate that you would then find. And it seems as though majority opinion is that, yeah, this is a recommendation, not a command. So even classical legal scholars, one of the most prominent, like in terms of uh, Quran commentaries of legal scholars is Qurtubi. And he says, this is a, uh, this is a recommendation. Uh, where is Qurtubi from? Side question. Cordoba, Qurtuba, so Spain. So anyway, so so the point is that because you know the advice for why this is given, this is interpreted to be a recommendation. Meaning, if you do this, this is way better for you, as opposed to when it says pray and fast. You know, uh, there's a place here where it says why fasting is good, but otherwise, it's it's a general instruction. But how? Where does that come from? Yeah, exactly. So they give us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us a reason why fasting is good, exactly what you just said, mm -hmm. so that it would make you more, it would increase you in taqwa. Mm -hmm. So then that would just be a recommendation too, would that not? Like, where does that rule come from? That mm -hmm. if it, if, I guess the rule is that if there is a reason given, then it's just a recommendation. So that would be taken into consideration. So fasting outside of Ramadan would then be looked at as a recommendation. Whereas no. fasting in Ramadan, because the ayah later says, all right, if you see it, if you're there for Ramadan, then you should fast. And there it doesn't explain why. Right? Like Ramadan is the month when the Quran was revealed and such and such and such and such. And if you are there, you know, then you should fast. And so, 
So think about even for prayers. Can you think of any ayahs that tell us of benefits of prayers or purposes for prayers? As opposed to how many, many, many times it says pray, establish the law, establish the law, establish the law. And, and so, so this would be a tool then of interpretation, right? How do we figure out if something is a command or a recommendation only using the text? And then would that operative cause uh, reasoning apply here? Because that's the reasoning given. Therefore, if that reasoning goes away, the operative cause goes away, then the command becomes a recommendation or something yeah. like that. So, so what would be, what would have to go away for this to become, you know? Uh, to write down, this way is more equitable in God's eyes, more reliable as testimony and more likely to prevent doubts arising be between you because this is the cause for this mm -hmm. ruling Aha. so if the cause goes away then the ruling itself just goes away technically doesn't even become a recommendation does it so so am, am i just interpreting it no i mean so so this will get into more in just a moment but you, you see the first part right uh, the first part looking through the perspective of usul it's clear it's clear text uh, but it's hard to argue that it's mandatory yeah or it's, you can argue that it may not be mandatory. So that's sort of like part one. When we get into the higher aims, were you about to say something else? No, so the first part that you just said, yeah. what, it's not mandatory. Meaning it's because, because yeah, of the reasoning that it's giving. Because of the fact that it's giving us reasoning, then it's as though uh, it's basically <laughs> saying, you know, like this is more equitable. Like this is good for you if you do it. So that's 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 all across the Quran. Anytime there's a reason given. Well, uh, in general, but here it's specifically being said almost as though you can read this to say, if you do this, it's better for you. Yeah. Oh, okay. But there's no consequence here saying if you didn't do it, that you're going to be punished. Okay. See what I'm saying? But that would be exactly a place where it'd be debated. You know. We, if we'd have some people arguing, no, this is a command, other people arguing, no, it's a recommendation, there would be exactly this dilemma that, that, that we're facing. You know, how do we, how do we clearly say that, determine one way or the other? And, and it's, so, it's accepted now, it's ijmah that this is just a recommendation? Seems to be, yeah. Because yeah. of that reason, because there is, okay. Yeah. Or if we did not say consensus, we would say majority opinion. Uh, I don't know of any dissenting opinion, but that's also because that's beyond my knowledge. Yeah. Okay. Now, but then when we get into the higher aims, so the whole field of ma'asid <clears throat> is the process of going through all of the texts, the Quran and the Sunnah, to see what are consistent patterns that we have, things that need to be preserved. So life is something that is consistently something that should be preserved. In this context, wealth is something that consistently should be preserved. Uh, other things that are consistently that consistently should be preserved: uh, religion, intellect, dignity. Most of those don't seem to apply here as much. But then, in some categories, uh, removal of doubt is something that should be uh, attempted in transactions, especially transactions where you have to bring in witnesses and such. Right. Yeah. This is so similar to like American contract law. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, what would be different uh, in terms of just basic American contract law versus what we have here? I think uh, we have an exchange here. 
Uh, we have the two parties. Mm-hmm. I mean, the two woman part definitely is not part of <laughs> that. We'll get into the, in, when we get into part three, the order. Uh, yeah. Issue. Uh, but yeah, the writing down, like I mean, writing law, writing down, I think applies to only if it's above a certain amount. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you should write it down. Otherwise, oral uh, offer and acceptance is enough as long as there's uh, offer and acceptance. Yeah, that was like the, the yeah, key thing. I think it's consideration. But yeah, if it's above a certain amount, then there should it should be written down, or else the statute of fraud applies. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that uh, is probably also assumed here um, that if it is above a certain amount, mm-hmm. and I say that because even the punishment for stealing. You know, it's pretty severe cutting off the hands. And aside from when you would apply that or not, it's a different issue. But even then, if you're in an environment where you would apply that, there's also uh, an idea that it's above a certain level of theft, as opposed to stealing something like a, a pencil or something like that. Okay, so it's not like for petty crimes. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And so now the third aspect would be ORF, which is your normative custom or your customary practice. Okay. And, and so if we're in Chicago in 2020, uh, <clears throat> number one, uh, the witness of a man or woman, non-binary, they're all equal to, to be the same, right? So that's one difference from what we have here. And it is a system that seems to work. And then on top of that, uh, uh, I can even go online, you know, right now and do a Google search for loans and find a loan and look at all the different terms that are offered and determine which terms I want to agree to. So because we have a marketplace of loans, that aspect of the debtor dictating the terms is also being fulfilled. And because it's going to be recorded, that aspect is fulfilled, but there's no humans involved other than me. It can literally be entirely digital. (laughs) Why does that work? because it's tied into the whole credit rating system and such. And so, so you do have essentially virtual witnesses, you know, or you have a system that is acting in terms of how we see witnesses here. Right. So then we would basically argue that, all right, uh, is it a reliable system? Seems like it. So it's preventing doubt. Seems like it. Uh, is it just, aside from getting to the issue of interest and such, does the system is the system fair? The marketplace makes it fair. And so then we can very easily argue that taking something online works. Yeah, and again, before getting to the issue of, of, of interest and all that. Like another example is if you are to purchase something. So here, you know, if the merchandise is there and you hand it over, there's no blame on you. Yeah. Meaning you give, uh, I buy something from you, you give it to me, and then I pay you right away. Okay, no issue. But uh, when was the last time you paid for gas at the gas station with cash? And so think about it. Right. You're yeah. literally getting it uh, before you technically own it. Yeah. Before, you know, who knows when a visa pays the gas station and who knows when you pay visa. But that is a system <clears throat> where all the parties involved are still protected. Mm-hmm. So normally that would be forbidden in, in, in terms of other texts. Like you can't use something you don't own. Like you can't use something before you pay for it. Uh, 
And so, but because we have a whole system that has everybody protected, it's considered to be okay. And so that would be orfen. And so if the orf is fulfilling the, uh, the, the higher aims, then more often than not, you're going to go with the orf than the text. And by the text, I mean the literal text, because you're getting the usul from the text, but you're also getting the maqasid from the text. And so, so there's a principle then within the idea of maqasid that custom has the weight of law. That very often, how you do things in your culture will remain the default, except it, or in your society, how you do things will remain the default, except when you can argue that, no, that system doesn't work because it violates something. So for example, if we get into the issue of interest, and so aside from usury versus interest, a common issue in Chicago is, is you know, a notorious issue is that if you're African-American, you're probably gonna be charged a higher interest uh, rate on average, right? If you are lower class, you are probably gonna be charged higher interest rates. Why? Because they can get away with it. Because you're coming in- Say it again. For homes, for residential. Homes, for homes or any sort of loan, but especially for homes. Yeah. yeah. And and so, I mean, one simple difference is that if you're living in the suburbs, a normal Chicago suburb, you probably have, you know, 10 banks within a 10 mile radius, you know, 20 mile radius. If you're living in the city, you will probably not have as many banks to choose from. That's one issue. And the second issue is just a simple fact that they can get away with it. Right. And so that would be considered unfair, you know, where that's the normal system. And, and so that's even before getting into the question of whether or not interest is okay or not. The fact of the matter is that, that you know, some people do get exploited because of social class or race or what have you. But, but is the system unfair or is the impact unfair then? Sorry, this goes into like further law, but I mean, in law, yes, there is this whole, like right now in, in, in American law, there is a, um, an effort towards making the system, the impact equitable. Okay. So what does Islam say? Is it the impact that has to be fair or just the procedure has to be fair? Because the procedure may be fair. I mean, either it could just be, hey, you have low credit rating, therefore, mm-hmm. you know, so, uh, so this is, higher risk or whatnot. So this is an interesting point. And, and so, you know, the hadith that actions are judged by intentions. Yeah. Uh, so you can't know a person's intentions that's in their heart. So it means on the day of judgment, your actions are judged by intentions. And so, so in terms of law, motives are determined by the ends. And okay. so if I'm understanding your point correctly, the impact has to be fair. Okay. So which motive is actually, Yeah, which is actually a perfect segue back into what started uh, what we were talking about here, which is when a judge would pick something like istislah or istihsan, the judge is basically saying, uh, or the jurist is saying, okay, I went through the process uh, of you know studying the usul, studying the maqasid and, and the orf, and I've determined okay, the end result is not fair, and so I'm picking a different choice. Okay, I'm picking what may be a secondary choice because that's actually going to be more fair in this context. And so that's really really fascinating because think about what it's saying. <laughs> it's saying literally that part of the design of the Sharia or the, or the usul of the Sharia, the study of the fiqh of the Sharia is to argue that sometimes the system doesn't work. That sometimes 
the best choice is actually a secondary or tertiary choice. And, and that's where everything just gets so much more complicated. But that's a process because the process of interpretation is a human interpretation anyway. It would be different. You wouldn't have a case where you're at the time of the prophet, peace be upon him, and the prophet gives you a ruling, and then you say, no, you're wrong. Because the prophet is going to be, by definition, the most fair person. And there's literally an example for the end of the prophet's life after a battle where the prophet is spreading the, the, the spoils of war around. And a man comes up to the prophet and says, you know, Ittakullah ya Muhammad, like he's speaking uh, abrasively to the prophet, you know, have taqwa of Allah, fear God, shield Allah, shield yourself with Allah, ya Muhammad, because I haven't called the prophet, peace be upon him. And because what was happening is that the prophet, peace be upon him, was giving less of the spoils to the people of Medina and more to the people of Mecca to win over their hearts. So it's not an even distribution. And so then this man criticized the prophet and the prophet says, if I'm not fair, who's going to be fair? Yeah. And then he explained why he did it. And then the prophet also said, be cautious about this type of person. That they, uh, their, their faith uh, basically is like an arrow going through a deer, meaning it just goes in, goes right up and then damages all kinds of things in the process. And so those were the early uh, extremists at the time of the prophet who then became more prominent. So that right is, is an example of equity versus equality. Like he did not want to, it was, so, okay. That totally yeah. makes sense. Thank yeah. you. That's a, that's a good, uh, good way to describe it. Yeah. And so, yeah, here it's even equity. So for our purposes for now, these are good terms to know. The difference between the two is not uh, as important. The key idea being like when a word in Arabic begins with ist, it usually means you're searching for something, you know, mustaqim. And, and so istihsan is you're searching for, for the Hassan and istisla you're searching for, for essentially the reform. And, and so the idea being you're searching for a better answer. And, but the method you're using of determined isn't giving you the best answer you, could, you think you can have. So that was the discretion that a jurist would have. Okay, cool. All right, who wants to read the next, the nature and purpose of Islamic law? Let's see how much do we have. Oh, that's a big paragraph. Uh, I'm thinking we've already gone for about 40 minutes. That was pretty fast. Uh, maybe we'll just stop right here, inshallah. And because we also had a really, really good lesson in terms of going through an actual text. And uh, any questions about anything? Any questions? Did you difference again, just clearly? Because I feel like what the text says, I, didn't, I just didn't okay. not sure if I missed it. So, istihsla is basically saying that. <laughs> If we use our methodology, um, this is a good answer. This is not as good of an answer. And then the third one might be not as good. All of these are conclusions we can derive. And then I decide I'm not going to go with the best answer. I'm going to go with the second best answer. Because for this context, that is the best answer. So, for example, uh, if we uh, apply it here, okay, uh, I might determine that, yeah, here's all the details of a loan. But the system, the, the method that you're, that you're trying to do, something is still striking me as unfair. And so I'm not going to support it. And so an example, uh, there's another tool called Sadadharai, which we mentioned, but I didn't uh, get into detail. Uh, uh, a common issue in marriages is that two people are going into marriage officially for the purpose of you know, creating marriage and life together. But it may be 
that somebody's marrying somebody super rich. And, and they're actually just trying to take advantage of them. And so they might've done everything from start to finish 100% halal, but the jurist might determine, okay, uh, uh, I don't buy this. This young man is marrying this old rich woman. So I will support this marriage if he gets no share of her inheritance when she dies. And we'll see if he's going to get married. You know? And so, so in a normal sense, you know, who could, you know, prevent two adults from getting married and they're mature adults and such, and they did everything a hundred by that, you know, uh, uh, through proper halal channels and such. And you might determine, no, this is still exploitation going on. And so istisla is essentially looking for, you know, option B. Istihsan is a little bit wider. And istisla you see more in the Maliki school. Istihsan is something you see more in the Hanafi school. And it's essentially the same thing. It's basically saying, uh, this is the result. No, I don't do this. I'm, I'm going with this other, my own uh, ruling. And, and so in theory here, there's the assumption that you're a certified jurist. You've gone through the training to be able to do that. So you can't do that without being a certified jurist? Well, the idea being that, okay, anybody in theory could do that. Yeah, I don't like this answer. I'm just going to go with my own thing. I'm not going to work. Okay, so it. let me ask something controversial, but I don't know if we have time. Controversial. Like for a woman headscarf. Um, and I personally decided, and I'm just going to kind of get personal with this. But so, I, so you want me to turn off the recording? I'm perfectly fine if we turn it off. You can, yeah, you can turn it off. Okay. Subhanahu wa ta'ala wa bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafiriku natu